Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. The Yield Disruptors, the biggest names in business, culture, and politics. Hear how successful influencers scored big and became the movers and shakers pushing everything forward. Gain from their insight and advice and avoid the setbacks that might keep you from achieving your true potential. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and leave a review if you enjoy the content. This is the Yield Disruptors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Yield Street's Disruptors podcast, where we sit down with industry leaders and disruptors to discuss how they have reimagined and changed their industries and the leadership skills necessary to create new business opportunities. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Gene Chatsky, financial editor for NBC's Today Show and the CEO and co-founder of HerMoney.com. Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So I'm very excited because we are going to cover a whole range of topics today, starting with education, entrepreneurship, diversity, and uh, the consumer-driven economy that all of us are so reliant on. So let's start and get into it. Let's get into your background. For those who are listening, what gravitated you towards uh, financial journalism, Gene? Boy, well, I guess a good therapist would tell you that I was looking to fix what was wrong in my own life. I graduated college. I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I didn't exactly know what type of journalist I wanted to be, um, but the job I got was as the assistant to the business editor at Working Woman Magazine, which no longer exists. I really liked it. I liked the fact that you could use numbers to make a story stronger. And as I was ready to leave that job, I went in search of jobs at business magazines, at Forbes and Fortune and Money, and nobody would hire me. Um, they kind of thought that Working Woman was a joke. So I floundered around for a while, but ended up uh, getting a job on Wall Street in equity research because I thought about what skills I was missing in order to get those business journalism jobs. And uh, I didn't really know how to read a balance sheet. I didn't know how to dig into financial statements. And so I figured I could learn those skills uh, while continuing to earn a living. And after doing a couple of years at Dean Witter Reynolds, made my way back into business journalism. And from there to personal finance, for a very long time, personal finance was considered a backwater by a lot of these publications. But with the advent of 401ks and the realization that individuals had a lot more responsibility for our retirement uh, than ever before, it became a much bigger deal. And I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. That's awesome. So, so you know, Jean, you spoke about um, education and skills and, and uh, what was important to kind of build your career. Uh, you also return on your website that uh, paying 40000 a year for tuition just to earn half that didn't resonate with you. So, uh, 
you know, can we talk a little bit about the education, uh, state of education today? There is a lot of uh, chatter about student loans. And on one side, you have people like Peter Thiel that say, don't go to college. But on the other side, there are some who believe in having uh, advanced education, including master's uh, degrees, uh, to really hone in their skills. So where do you stand on that uh, debate? I sit in the middle, but I, I am a believer in education. My parents were both educators. My father was a college professor for much of my life. I loved college. I just was better outside the classroom than I was inside the classroom. And I think that today the lesson is that we have to look at education as a value proposition. We got to look at what we're getting versus what we're paying. And so if you're going to college and you know that you're coming out, like I knew I was coming out and I, I was not going to work in engineering. I had absolutely no plans of going to work on Wall Street. I was always headed into some sort of an of a writing type career. I, look, I was fortunate that I didn't have to borrow for college, but had I, I would have wanted to minimize that borrowing and go to a school where I knew that I would be able to repay my debts without a huge amount of struggle. And I went to college in the 80s when prices were nowhere near as high as they are now. So I think when we're looking at paying for college and borrowing for college, we really need to think about our goals after college, which is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But if you don't know what you want coming out of college, there is no reason that you should be borrowing a huge amount of money in order to fund it. You know, apply to schools that want to have you apply to schools that are likely to give you more in the form of merit aid, minimize the borrowing, do two years at a community college before you transfer and, and then get your degree from a four year university. I was just reading this morning that Drexel University in Philadelphia rolled out a program where they are going to subsidize tuition for those community college transfer students who go on to earn their four-year degree at Drexel. That's great, but those are the sorts of programs that we need to be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, for our listeners, uh, the key tip here, the pro tip is do cost benefit analysis and uh, make sure that you're going to the college for right reasons and you got, uh, you're going to reap the benefits. Otherwise, what you're doing is setting yourself back by 10, 15 years by the time you kind of catch up. And, you know, obviously the student debt is crossed 1.5 trillion. That is just obnoxious for the next generation. And so you have to be very careful about that. So uh, I like that word obnoxious and just two quick hacks to throw in. In there for your audience first you want to try to keep the amount that you're borrowing in total over four years of college to less than you expect to earn your first year out of college if you can do that it'll generally be affordable and the other number to keep in mind is that for every $20,000 that you borrow, you're looking at a monthly payment of about $250 a month over 10 years. Most students are borrowing closer to 40,000 than they are to 20,000. So students who borrow. So you got to ask yourself, am I going to be able to make these $500 payments and 
rent an apartment and support my transportation back and forth to work and go out to eat and drink with my friends every once in a while. And if the answer is no, you're going to want to soft pedal the borrowing. That's that's those are two great trips. So, um, Jean, let's talk about, you know, your journey from working women to equity research. You said that you did uh, a bunch of different jobs. What were some lessons in those odd jobs that still stick with you today? I think the ability to hustle was one lesson. I, I knocked on an awful lot of doors. One of the things that I did in that period of time, in addition to going to cooking school, was doing a lot of freelance writing. And I used my network. I didn't have a very big network at that point, but I reached out to people and said, this is what I want to do. You know, can you help me? Where would you suggest I look for these opportunities? Here are my ideas. And and was able to get a decent amount of work by by doing that. The other thing that I learned was to really think outside the box as much as possible. So I wanted a job in business journalism. I wanted to be, you know, if you had asked me at the time, I would have said, I want to be a reporter at Forbes. I had had a colleague who was a reporter at Forbes, which is in Forbes terms, a word that really means a glorified fact checker, right? You're, you're a fact checker. And I desperately wanted to be a fact checker. And I realized that I didn't have what it took to do that. And so I thought in a, in a roundabout way, how do I get those skills rather than just saying, well, I don't have those skills or I have to go back to get an MBA in order to get those skills, which is what I had been advised to do. I didn't want to, first of all, I didn't want to pay for getting an MBA that I didn't really want. I didn't want to sit in the classroom. And so I, I thought about how do I get those skills in a different sort of a way and realize that in the business stories that I had written, we were always quoting research analysts and we were reading their reports. And I figured, all right, they probably need somebody who can write those reports so I could learn while doing something that they needed. Yeah, listen, those are amazing, uh, amazing lessons. I think uh, hustle is such an important word, especially for today's uh, Gen Z and millennials. That is such an important and simple tip, but a lot of a uh, lot of a uh, lot of them forget about it, right? And and that hustle is what builds that grit and separates you from the rest of the pack. So, uh, really, really important lessons. So, let's switch over from now education to entrepreneurship. What drove you to start her money? Honestly, I got fired. I mean, that's I I. I was always very entrepreneurial. I mean, I had a side gig before a side gig was a thing, right? In my first job at Working Woman, I was only earning $11,500 a year, which was not enough to pay my rent or really anything, even though it was the 1980s. And so I was teaching SATs on the side, right? I, which was helping me make more money than I was making in my day job. It, I. I was all, I always had a series of, of, of jobs. And when I was at smart money magazine, I, I was also working for the today show and also writing books and also giving speeches. So this idea of having multiple income streams and being entrepreneurial was not foreign to me, but I never, I never really had the, 
I, it wasn't on my list that I'm going to start a company, right? I, I'm, I'm, we're watching, um, we're watching the, the Theranos show on, on Netflix now. And she's like, oh, I'm going to start a company. That was never me, but I got fired and I decided to do my own thing rather than trying to get another job to replace my salary at money magazine. And I, uh, along the way decided to focus on women. Um, I had a terrible year when I turned 40, I got divorced. I lost my dad. I lost my job and rebuilding my own financial life really taught me a lot more about how women are behind the eight ball when it comes to our personal finances a lot, you know, not just due to the gender wage gap, but, um, due to the fact that we're the ones who take breaks from the workforce to care for kids and care for older parents. And I wanted to help other women like me. So um, I leaned into that direction, started a company. We've now got 11 people. We just brought another person on this week, which is exciting. And we are growing our coaching program as well as the content that we develop in the podcasting area with the Her Money podcast and um, our newsletters and uh, this, the content that we create for our website. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's uh, that's really amazing and inspiring to to hear that. So, you know, obviously when you started, you must have had doubts in the early stages. There might have been naysayers. Can you share with our audience uh, some of those early days lessons? For many years, people looked at me funny when I said I was doing personal finance content for women. They said, why do women need different content? Why do, why do women, why, why focus just on women? You're closing yourself off to half the world in terms of a marketplace. And I am a firm believer that not only do women need specifically tailored advice, we need a safe place to receive that advice. And Her Money is that safe place. We've built a community of women that know that when they are in our private Facebook group or listening to our podcast or reading our new book, they are they are not gonna be judged, not by us and not by other members of the community because we shut that down. And that's what it takes in order to become a confident manager of your own money. You need to, you need to learn as you're going, but in order to get going, you need to feel safe enough to actually take some steps. Yeah, that's uh that's actually a very, very important point. And, uh, you know, uh, there is a company, you know, investing platform called Elvest that's also sure. focused on on women. Uh, Sally Krawcheck, uh, you know, ex kind of Wall Street executive, started that. So, yeah, we do uh, we do agree with that. Even in our business, we see that uh, uh, the content that uh, we develop resonates differently with women and uh, uh, and and with the rest of the population. So, you know, obviously speaking about the last two decades, what have you seen like going and kind of switching towards kind of diversity and and women in financial services? Can you comment on how that landscape has uh, changed over the last? you know, maybe 10, 15 years, if at all? It hasn't changed as much as Sally or I would like to see. I mean, we've, we've talked about this. It's, there are not enough women 
at the top of or the middle or the the entry level rungs of these financial services firms but even when you do get women into entry level jobs the pressures of life and and the fact that again and we saw this in the pandemic which truly set women back on their heels on our heels um the pressures of life continue to force women out of of these these workplaces, which is why you don't typically see enough women financial advisors, enough women, despite the fact, and I'll come back to this in a second, I think being a financial advisor is an amazing job for women. I think it's it's all communication, it's all taking care of people, it leans into the things that many of us are really, really good at its relationships um and it can be quite flexible um depending on how you decide to to operate your practice but uh, no i haven't seen nearly enough of a change um i hope that it's coming we know that more money is flowing into the hands of women um because more women than men are graduating from college because um when you look at the coming uh, inter- intergenerational wealth transfer, yeah. a lot of that money will flow into the hands of women because we'll inherit twice. We're going to inherit both from our parents and from the husbands that we'll outlive. So women will have a lot more money in the coming decades. Um, and I hope that the financial services industry will uh, will morph to reflect that. So Jean, what can you uh, tell us, uh, you know, as leaders in the fintech space and in the financial services space, what do we need to do differently to, uh, you know, reduce that gap? What are a couple, couple of your tips on in that area? I think we have to be intentional about not just recruiting women out of college um, and into entry level jobs, but in looking at the, the pressures that they face and bringing them along, you know, being intentional of bringing women up the ladder, bringing, bringing women and bringing women up the ladder in a way that they have the ability to succeed. If we're not intentional about it, it is, it is never going to happen. We're just going to keep doing the same things that we've always done. And a big part of that is salary transparency. A big part of that is is looking at how you're paying the various people on your teams and and leveling up in an intentional way. Yeah, those are all great things. I mean, me personally, with my wife, we uh, most of our angel investments are in female-led companies, and they have done extremely well for us. Here at Yield Street, we have a women's uh, ERG group, and uh, we are always very intentional in our hiring process to make sure that you know we are creating and giving opportunities for uh, for diversity diversifying uh, candidate pool and and giving yeah. them the opportunities to do that so very very excited about that but obviously not a lot has been done and we need to continue to kind of push those boundaries as uh, as as time goes by no but the, kudos to you guys i mean that's exactly what it takes being being intentional about all of your efforts to um to uh, bring along a diverse a diverse workforce. Again, I had a, a conversation with Sally about this not too long ago, and and um, and Elevest has been great at this. They have really they have really developed this diverse workforce, and the and the reason that they've done it is because 
she was intentional on saying, we are not going to hire another white woman. We are going to find a diverse candidate and we are going to bring her in or him in. And that's, that's how it has to happen. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, kudos to her also because uh, you know she was very intentional about you know building Elvest for women, and uh, I think um, given her background on Wall Street, she could have taken a broad platform approach for everybody, but she was very yeah. intentional on what she wants to build. So, obviously, making a lot of progress in that direction. Uh, so, switching gears from kind of uh, women in financial services and diversity to consumer-driven economy, the backbone of our of our of our economy and our country. You have said, if you want to own your life, own your money. What What do you mean by that? I mean, be intentional about how you're using your resources. Money is just a tool. It's a tool that we need to use intentionally to create the life and the world and the community that we want. The problem is, money has gotten so fast moving and so invisible that we spend without thinking about it. We, you know, in some ways it's good how, how fast moving and and invisible it's gotten. I mean, you can set alerts and your bills get paid and you don't have to worry that you're going to be late and your portfolio rebalances. And, you know, all that stuff is great until you realize that, you really haven't looked at how you're spending in quite some time. And when you do take a look, you're shocked at how that money is being used. I I run a coaching program at Her Money. We call it Finance Fix. These are small group classes of women who are looking at where their money is going for the first time in a long time with the with the express purpose of saving more, spending less, often paying down some debt, trying to bring their financial life in line. And what I've seen is that everybody's got a wake up call coming if they haven't looked at it in a while. Um, and so I, I think I think it's just a matter of saying this is this is part of being an adult. This is part of figuring out how to reach my goals. I have to pay attention. And even if I don't want to pay attention all the time, if I can get myself to be mindful about this one month a year, you know, much like we we uh, lay off alcohol in January or February, if I can get myself to be mindful about this once a year, I'm doing a really good thing. So obviously we are a consumer driven economy where credit is cheaply available. What are some of your what are some of your tips or advice um, you know just for people to kind of balance their spend versus how much they earn how should they think about financial planning because we uh, live in a society of instant gratification right and uh, financial planning is anything but that. So you know what what are the general guidelines or tips that you would give consumers uh, as to how they should balance those spend habits with like long-term financial planning for, for, for financial security? So I'll tell you the way I do it. I save first. I know what my goals are, right? I don't have a line-by-line line budget. I haven't for quite some time. But I keep myself in check 
by essentially budgeting backwards. So I know what my goals are. I know um, I work with a financial advisor. I know how much I need to put aside to reach all of those individual goals, whether it was paying for college for my kids or retirement for myself or retiring mortgage debt, however I wanted to do it, right? I know what those goals are. I know what they look like. I take the money off the top. I funnel it into those particular accounts for those particular goals. And I pay off my credit cards every single month. Everything else is pretty much fair game, right? As long as I'm living within those lines, I don't have to worry. And, and that I think is a very fine way to do it, but it means you have to have some goals and you have to have gone through the process of figuring out how much money you're going to need in order to meet those goals. And we know, particularly when it comes to retirement, that about 50% of people have never figured out how much retirement is going to cost them. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, uh, Save first is such a simple philosophy because uh, you've kind of turned the budgeting process upside down. Don't worry about, hey, here are all the expenses and leave a little bit for saving. You do it the other way. I think that's a really a smart way to do it. Last question um, before we uh, before we wind it down. Obviously, financial services and just money is so fearful for people. Like, you know, if you just, for our listeners, think about your life. Last three months when you were out for dinner or with your friends, how many times did you talk about saving and financial planning versus like the next hot restaurant or the next vacation spot? What are the tips that you could give people because they're so scared of money and financial services not to talk about it, uh, but it's so important. Is it discipline? Is it education? Like what should the consumer do to get much more comfortable with it? I think it's definitely education, right? You, you should, if you're not reading anything about your money start start pick up one source that you're comfortable with it could be our newsletters right we, we publish two newsletters a week at hermoney.com they're free they're easy could be the wall street journal i i love reading jason zweig every week it could be uh, the new york times pick a source or two and just start start reading and then force yourself to have a discussion about something you've read say to your spouse or your partner or your colleague or your friend, hey, you know, I read this thing about your personal inflation rate and how, yeah, inflation's eight and a half percent, but maybe my inflation rate isn't that because I own my house. And so I'm not subject to these big increases in rent. I, you know, I'm just spewing, but yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm, I'm getting at. And then the other thing that you have to do is a little bit of fake it till you make it, right? Women in particular tend not to identify as investors. We we are teaching women investing at, at hermoney.com in our, our course, Investing Fix. I'm doing this with Karen Feinerman, who is on CNBC. We're having a, a great time um, building this portfolio. But you got to get in there and you have to do it. And if you have a 401k or if you have an IRA, you are an investor, even if you don't realize it. So just look at it, you know, don't, don't micromanage it. Don't trade it. Just look at it and, and watch what's going on. And you'll start to get more comfortable over time. 
Yep, those are great tips. And so uh, my final question is, obviously we are in a very interesting time. Inflation is high, <laughs> interest rates are moving up, recession fears are looming. What is your one tip for our listeners in the next like six to 12 months, financial tip? Control the things you can control. But by the way, that would have been my tip if we were in a booming economy. We can't control the markets. We can't control interest rates. We can't control inflation. We can control our saving and our spending. We can control what we decide to do with that money that we're saving, whether we funnel it into a 401k or whether we blow it on some impulse purchase. Um, control the things that you can control and try really hard not to stress about the rest. Jean, it was such a pleasure to chat with you. Absolutely an inspiration. And, and thank you for doing all the things that you do for uh, women and financial literacy and, and just financial life of people. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners, be sure to subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or YouTube and leave a review if you're enjoying the content. Thanks again and see you for the next episode of the Yield Street Disruptors. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.